His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Luke chapter 1 verse 50. Welcome to Canaan Bound Podcast, a podcast designed to offer the Christian rest during life's journey. Canaan Bound Podcast features devotional segments by pastors serving in the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, along with church history, mission news, and music by various Christian artists who support our teaching. I'm Philip Wells, and this is episode 112. We begin today with Bible Truths question 15, what does it mean to fear and love God? Bible Truths question 15, what does it mean to fear and love God? For many people, the word fear is associated with being scared of something or someone who could hurt them. We associate fear with people or things that are much stronger and or meaner than we are, with the expectation of getting hurt if they become upset. Therefore we are scared or coerced into treating them the way in which they demand. However, that is not the fear of God that Christians have. Christians understand that God has awesome power. He can send devastating disasters or withhold his blessing to change people's ways. It is not his desire to force anyone into doing his will. Rather, he desires to change people's hearts by his love instead of his power. This leaves one in awe of God, with the deep respect, since he will not use his power to scare people, but to save them. By holding back his judgment and power, God reveals just how much he loves mankind, and wants all to love him freely. God's people understand that this is God's love. They want to be closer to him in the same way people want to be closer to those they know will help them in time of need. What joy Christians have to know God's love and that they can go to him freely to ask for forgiveness without being scared of being punished for not obeying him. This is how Christians fear God. It is because they know he will not do anything to hurt the ones he loves. God's word on fear and love from the NIV, Luke chapter 1 verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Luke chapter 12 verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. 1 John 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Genesis chapter 26, verse 24. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Psalm 25, verse 14, The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Luke chapter 1, verse 74, To rescue us from the hands of our enemies, and to enable us to serve him without fear. Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. 
I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you shall fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are numbered. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And now we are joined by the Camp Philip Choir with thoughts from Psalm 46. In the midst of the noise there is song. In the midst of the sorrow, Lord, you belong. In the midst of the darkness, you shine like the dawn. And when I am weak, you are strong. In chaos on all sides shatters my soul. Trouble descends like a mountain That's hurled in the depths of the waters That surge on the sea I'm not afraid God's with me In the midst of the noise there is song In the midst of the sorrow, Lord, you belong darkness you shine like the dawn, and when I am weak you are strong. No one seems willing to stand by my side, when all my friends have deceived me, or lied in the hope that they might receive glory or
And now we join Pastor Timothy Smith with God's Word for You. God's Word for You, Job 37, from verse 14 to the end of the chapter, first 14 to 18. Listen to this, Job. Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you know how God controls the clouds and makes his lightnings flash? Do you know how the clouds hang poised, those wonders of him who has perfect knowledge? You who swelter in your clothes when the land lies hushed under the south wind, can you join him in spreading out the skies, hard as a mirror of cast bronze? The storm storm is no longer approaching Job and his friends. It's right on top of them. Men sweltering in their clothes with the skies spread out above them. These are excellent descriptions of the moment right before a storm breaks. They have heard the thunder in the distance. They have heard and felt the exploding electricity right on top of them. Now in the moment, just before they expect the torrents of rain to come crashing down on them, Elihu has one last thing to say. He asks Job, do you know how God does this? It's very close to what God himself is about to ask. Verses 19 to 21. Tell us what we should say to him. We cannot draw up our case because because of our darkness. Should he be told that I want to speak? Would anyone ask to be swallowed up? Now no one can look at the sun, bright as it is in the skies, after the wind has swept them clean. Remember that Job had, in effect, drawn up a case against God. He talked about what he would say if only he got the chance. Now Elihu tells him he's about to get that chance. Job should drop his case and beg for God's forgiveness for every one of his sins. If this truly isn't about a certain sin, Job, then confess all the rest of them, because any sin and every sin makes us guilty before God. And God's here. Jesus has a warning about legal matters that applies even more so when we come face to face with the Lord. Jesus said, Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. This is why we repent and turn away from our sins. We turn back to God and ask him to forgive us, beg him to forgive us. Verses 22 to 24. Out of the north he comes in golden splendor. God comes in awesome majesty. The Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. In his justice, the great righteousness, he does not oppress. Therefore, people revere him. For does, not, for, for does he not have regard for all the wise in heart? These are the final words of any of Job's friends. Elihu prepares us for the approach of the Lord, and at this point we lose sight of Elihu. We could assess the content of what Job's youngest friend said, but like Job, we're just overwhelmed by the awesome approach of God in the storm. The, the Hebrew, or rather in Hebrew, of these final three verses, especially 22 to 23, are quite broken and staccato. Their, their grammar is choppy and sound almost as, as if Elihu is shouting. He's fighting to be heard over the enormous roar of the storm above. because It kind of goes like this. From the north, golden, he comes. Awesome majesty upon God, he says. Eloah, Shaddai, the almighty, unreachable, great power, justice, great righteousness, does not oppress. Like Job, we can hear what Elihu is saying, but we are overwhelmed by God's arrival. We imagine that the five men bowed or fell face down to the ground. Eliphaz, 
Bildad and Zophar prostrate before the Lord. Elihu throwing himself down in awe. He shouts still on his young and frightened lips. And Job, already down physically and spiritually, bows his head. The storm has arrived. Everyone else is now silent. The Lord is about to speak. May my cry come before you, Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. May my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your promise. May my lips overflow with praise, for you teach me your decrees. May my tongue sing of your word, for all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, Lord, and your law gives me delight. Let me live that I may praise you, and may your laws sustain me. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's word for you. And now it's time for To Tell the Story with Luke Italiano. You can always tell what's important to a person by how they spend their money. Moses said, give to the poor, the rabbis told all the good Jewish boys in synagogue school. Isaiah said, God wants you to remember the poor, the rabbis announced at Sabbath at the synagogue. And Jesus himself said, blessed are the poor. And the disciples had learned the lesson well. God wanted you to watch out for those who had less than you. He wanted you to watch out for the defenseless, for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan. The disciples were good Jews. They had learned the lesson well, and what Jesus taught fit in very well with that. And of course you would expect nothing less from the Messiah. And then, one night, Jesus and his disciples had dinner at the home of a man named Simon the leper, and as they lay down on those couches to prepare to eat, a woman entered holding a clay jar, and she approached Jesus, popped the cork out of that little clay jar, and a fragrance filled the room like nothing the disciples had ever smelled before, since washing, wafting through the room. This wasn't just perfume. This was the best. This was expensive perfume that cost not a little bit of money. Ah, the woman was going to anoint Jesus, put a few drops of this perfume on his head. What an act of devotion. Yes, this was something that was very... Wait a second. What is she doing? She just dumped the whole thing on Jesus' head. That's not some mistake. That's not like she tripped. She intended to do this. She just poured the whole thing of perfume on his head, and it's dribbling down his cheeks and dribbling down his beard like oil. What is going on here? That was a lot of money she just wasted. Do you know how many mouths you could feed with that? Do you know... God wants you to watch out for the poor. God wants you to watch out for the poor. It had been drilled into the disciples' heads for so long. And didn't Jesus himself say, Blessed are the poor? What is this? 
And the disciples were indignant. Didn't Moses say? Didn't Isaiah say? And they sputtered and they blathered and they finally, finally they asked, Why this waste? This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. The woman wasn't paying any attention to them, though. Oh, no. She was looking down at Jesus. And he was looking at her with that smile of his. And then he turned to the disciples. Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you will always have with you. But you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. You see, the disciples weren't wrong in saying that God cares for the poor. Of course he does. It's written all over scripture. But you can tell what's important to a person by how they spend their money. And this woman made it very clear what was important to her as she poured out all of her savings on Jesus. Now, brothers, sisters, it is still true today. You can tell what's important to you by what you spend your money on. But let this not be a guilt trip. That is not the point. Instead, consider what Jesus spent his life on. He spent his life on you. Gladly. Willingly. The woman knew what was coming. She chose to spend all she had on Jesus. Not because she had to, but because she wanted to serve the one who served her so well. Learn her lesson. Love Jesus. And the story is true. We end our time together this week with My Shepherd Will Supply My Need by Branches Band. My
You have been listening to Canaanbaum Podcast, episode 112. This episode was first shared in May of 2016. Visit CanaanBoundPodcast.com for show notes, find links to artists featured on the show, and catch up on old episodes or share your favorite parts. Once again, my name is Philip Wells. It was a privilege to be your host for this episode. We invite you to visit wells.net to find a Wells ministry location near you. Thank you for listening. Like grace and through faith in the